Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. And this morning we're going to take a look at not letting the storms steal your faith. So Mark chapter 4, if you found that in verse 35, you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of God's Word. And it reads like this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And when, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Father, this morning, our hearts and minds have already been focused on faith, the faith that you have given us to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and the faith that we have in you as our God. So this morning, I ask this of you that you settle my heart and my mind. You open the ears and hearts of those that are gathered here. That, Father, today you, you stand in my body, you think with my mind, you speak with my mouth, that you may be glorified, the church may be edified, that Satan may be horrified today. That someone... Faith will be strengthened. We ask that in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus and his disciples, they were on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, that same Sea of Galilee I talked to the kids about this morning. That sea that, that Jesus had walked around as he called those disciples from their fishing to be fishers of men with him. If you go back and you read in Mark and the other Gospels, you'll see that Jesus had been a busy person. Jesus had been a busy person as he walked around that western side of the Sea of Galilee. He had been healing people in that area. He had been dealing with these Pharisees as they confronted him. He had even dealt with a controversy over the fact that he had healed on the Sabbath day, if you remember that story about him healing on the Sabbath day. He had called his disciples from from their work as fishermen and and called them to himself to follow him. And and then he had started teaching. He had started teaching those that were gathered around the sea, but especially teaching those disciples, those disciples that had come to to follow him. If you remember, he taught the parable of the souls. He taught the parable of the, the lamp. He taught the parable of the mustard seed along with a few others. And that led up to right where we're at in Scripture, right where we're at. Now what he's wanted to do is leave that western side of the Sea of Galilee and go to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee where less people were gathered, where there was no one waiting on him. And he wanted to take his disciples along with him. He wanted to make it a group effort. He wanted to go to the other side. He had invited them to get into the boat and head to the other side. And and notice he, he didn't even tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them why they were going. He just told them he was going, that, that he was going to the other side. As we think about God's vision for, for Morris Creek and for us individually, we can't help but desire that, that God just give us the big picture. Wouldn't it just be great if God just painted the picture of what he wanted us to be 10 years from now? What he wanted us to be 20 years from now? What he wanted us individually as a church to be 50 or 100 years from now? 
so that we could work in that direction. Just Wouldn't it just be great if God just flew it across in a banner and said, this is where I'm leading you. But you know, I do know one thing. God's calling us to go, not stay. He's calling us to go out into the world, not sit on a pew. He's calling us to impact the community and the world that we live in for Jesus Christ. I do know He's calling us to do that. He wants us to move from where we are to where He's going. To where He's going. And He wants us to do it in faith. He wants us to step out in faith to do that. How many of you know that when you step out in faith to do what God wants you to do, (laughs) Satan steps up. (laughs) Satan steps up. And he tries to stop you. Satan wants to stop you from stepping out on faith and following God. When you move in the direction of of God, Satan seems to put roadblocks in the middle of that path for you, doesn't he? And often these attacks by Satan show up in our lives as these storms. Whether it be health problems, whether it be financial problems, whether it be marriage difficulties, whether it be a job loss. All kinds of things seem to come our way right when we step out in faith to follow God. The list could go on and on and on. But how many of us can also testify, how many of us can also testify that God is greater than any of the storms that Satan may put in our life? God is greater. The disciples are about to face a storm in their life. They're about to face a tremendous storm. It is, in fact, a storm that makes them fearful for their physical lives. Many of us have not had storms come in our life that have made us fearful of our physical lives. But the disciples are about to face one of those. So the question begs to be asked, how do you handle the storms of life? What do you do with the storm of life when it shows up? We all know the answer. The answer to that is to have faith in God. But see, Satan brings storms and difficulties and roadblocks in our life in such a way that it weakens our faith in God. Because Satan can't steal your salvation. But what he can do? is make you less effective for the one who saved you. And what he tries to do is put up roadblocks to to do that. There are four things in this passage. There are four things in this passage that I think it would do us well to remember when the storms of life that come our way and help us not to let the storms of life steal our faith. The very first thing that I noticed as I read this passage is that we need to look for the purpose of God in the storm. We notice that in verse 35 when it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Jesus was physically tired. Yes, Jesus was completely God and completely human, and in his humanity, he was exhausted. He had been busy. He had been ministering. There had been crowds around him that were growing. Along with the growing crowds grew growing needs and growing uh, uh, calls for Jesus to do things. And these needs had become heavy upon him, and he was extremely tired. Everybody was either pushing in to see what Jesus could do for them, or they were pushing out because of what he was doing. There were those who wanted Jesus' touch, and there were those like the Pharisees who wanted to complain about that which Jesus was doing. And all around him it was gathered. He was just absolutely exhausted. He wanted to go over. He wanted to go over to the other side because there wasn't a crowd of people gathered there waiting on him. He wanted some alone time. So he looked at the disciples and said, boys, get in the boat. We're out of here. Load up. We're gone. The disciples wanted to be wherever Jesus was. They wanted to be in his presence. So what did they do? They got in the boat. They got in the boat to head to the other side. It doesn't say that he gave them any explanation. He just said, we're going to the other side. It also doesn't say that they asked. Isn't that interesting? 
Oftentimes when God calls us to get in a boat, what do we do? Why? (laughs) Why? Where are we going and why? But notice he said, we're going to get in a boat. We're going to go across. Didn't tell them where we're going to land. Said, I'm heading out. They said, good enough for us. We got in. We're getting in the boat. We're going. Yet not long into the trip. Not long into the trip across the Sea of Galilee, storms arise and things got a little rough for them. Notice it says that the wind started to blow, the waves started to crash into the boat, and it looked as if the boat was on its way down. And instead of remembering that they had gotten into the boat to cross over to the other side, they started to focus on the storm. They started to look at the storm instead of the reason they had gotten in the boat in the first place. There's one thing I know, one thing I know for sure. We're alike in regard to storms in each of our lives. All of us are alike in one area when it comes to storms in our life. We're either in the middle of one, we're coming out of one, or we're headed directly towards one. We're all either in it, coming out of it, or walking face into it at the moment. See, when we seek to follow Jesus, the storms in life start raging around us. I think that's why in Luke 14, Jesus warns those who want to be followers of his. and says, before you sign on the dotted line, sit down and count the cost. Count the cost. Count what it's going to cost you to be my disciple. Else, you may get involved, the storms of life show up, and you bail out. And what a laughing stock you will be. As they say, look, he set out to build a... A great big tower. He set out to build a big home. He set out to do this. And look, it's now in ruins. He didn't stay with it. He says, consider the cost. Else we start the journey and find it costs more than we're willing to pay and stop that journey. See, it doesn't matter who you are. The storms of life will come. It doesn't matter if you're old or you're young. You're rich or you're poor. You're healthy or weak, educated or uneducated. The storms of life attack all of us. And especially those who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Especially those of us who call Him Lord. But you know, it's not about the storm. It's about what God's doing through the storm. (laughs) Doing through the storm in your life. See, God allows those storms in our life to come for various reasons. But I believe most often He allows those storms to show up in our life to build our faith in Him. To build our faith in Him. It reminds me of a story Reminds me of a story I heard a preacher tell one time about a man who was walking out through the woods. And, and as he walked through the woods, he happened to find an abandoned well. Guess how he found this abandoned well? As he walked along, he found himself hurtling down through this well towards the bottom because he didn't realize it was there. And he was able to reach out and grab a hold of this root that was sticking out of the side. And he was hanging by this root. And as he hung there, he could look down and all he could see was darkness below him. And as he looked up, all he could see was a small circle of light above his head. No matter what he tried to do, he couldn't seem to get a foot on the side that would get a grip to be able to climb towards that light that he saw up above him. So as he hung there, he started calling out. He says, is anybody up there? Is anybody up there? And as he called out and called out and there was no answer, he started praying, God, send someone. Send someone. And he kept calling, is anybody up there? Is anybody up there? And as he was settling himself, he heard this voice and said, I'm here. He said, you're, you're here? 
Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> and it's a story with it says, I'm God. I'm God. He says, I knew it. I knew you wouldn't leave me here. I knew you would come for me. God, please save me. He cries out and God says, do you believe I can save you? He says, sure, God. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe you can save me. He says, do you have faith that I will save you? He says, yes, God, yes, I have faith that you will save me. He says, do you trust me to save you? He says, yes, God, yes, I trust you to save me. Please save me. God hollers down through the well and he says, let go of the root. It's this long pause, silence. The man cries out again, is anybody else up there? You know what? <laughs> that speaks a lot about how we react when storms of life come. Because we're a lot like that man in the well. When trouble comes our way, we grab a hold of anything we can to hang on to. Anything that we can hold on to ourselves to keep that storm from washing us away. And we start to get overcome by the storm. The storm just burdens us down. Life just burdens us down. And when God says, I will save you, all you have to do is let go of the root. We look for another Savior. That's what we do. We don't like the condition that he puts on it. And what's the condition? That we trust completely in him and not in ourselves. We have the sense of wanting to be somewhat in control, even if it's hanging by a root halfway down a well. God shows up and says, let go of the root. And we say, is there anybody else up there? See, God's purpose in the storms of our life is not to show us how strong we are holding on to a root. It's to show us how weak we are and we need to put our faith completely in Him. God's purpose is for us to put our faith and our trust in the Almighty God. The Almighty God. When life storms come your way, where is your faith? In the storms of a rocky marriage, where is your faith? In the storms of a job loss, where is your faith? In the storms of a health crisis, Where's your faith? In the storms of a death of a loved one in your family, where is your faith? When things at church get a little tough, where's your faith? When the deacons get devilish, the choir gets cranky, the ushers get ugly, the members get mad, and the pastor gets pushy, where's your faith? When things don't go your way, where's your faith? You see, every now and then, God will allow you to get into a storm that pushes your back right up against the wall. And when your back's against the wall, you discover there is no back door. You're pushed solidly against the ball. It's where you can't depend on your boss. You can't depend on your spouse. You can't depend on mom and dad. You can't depend on your friends. You can't depend on the doctor just looking at you and die. You can't depend on the government that you've got. You can't even depend on the church. God is looking down in those moments in your life and he's saying, let go of the root. I've got this. Trust me. Never forget that God's purpose, even in the storms of your life, is for you to have total faith and trust in him that your life might bring him glory. So the first thing I see as I look at this is we need to look for God's purpose in the storms of our life. The second thing we need to do is we need to learn to lean on the promises of God in the midst of the storm the promises of God Jesus told them in verse 35 he says let us cross over to the other side what he actually was telling them is he was making them a promise boys get in the boat I promise you we're going to make it to the other side 
How do I know that? How do I know that? Because when God gives a command, he will give you a promise that will go with that. He will give you a promise that will go with that, that, that he will give you all that you need to accomplish that which he commands you to do. When Jesus said, get in the boat, he was really telling them, don't worry, we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. And, uh, and he doesn't tell us to do the things that we have the capability of doing. He tells us to do the things that he has the capability of doing. And God has the capability of doing all things. All things. That's why he says, all things are possible. All things are possible in Christ. All things are possible. No matter the storms that arise as you follow his command, he has given you promises to lean on. Let me give you a few of those promises. You might want to write them down. You won't have time to turn because we're already short on time. But Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor the descendants begging bread. In Psalms 34, 19, he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What an awesome promise. Psalm 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I, I, God, I will be with you, God says, and through the rivers, though they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Reminds me of the guys in the furnace, doesn't it, you? 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, therefore, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Church, if there's one thing we need to do is humble ourselves. We need to realize who's in control, and it's God. And humble ourselves. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting out all, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How much of your care needs to be placed upon God? All. Because he cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. One of the greatest verses you can memorize. This is a short one. It says this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good. Oftentimes there's a period put there when we say it, but there's not one in his scripture. Thank the Lord. It says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Who are those who love God? Jesus tells us, those who keep his commandments. If he's commanded us to go, if he's commanded you to do, if you keep those commandments, you're showing your love for God. And what has this promised you that everything that you do that he has commanded you to do will work out for good? Because he's commanded you to do it. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you have anxious lives? Anyone? I do. I do. Sometimes things get just a little stressful and I get anxious. I'm not too big of a man to admit that. Things get a little anxious. But it says be anxious for nothing. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So when you become anxious, what are we to do? We're to go to this God. This almighty God. This almighty God. And what is he going to do? says, in the peace of God, the peace of God, the peace of God. How many of you need some peace in your life? This brother does. How many of you just want the peace of God to follow up on you? He says, go with everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, letting all things be known to God. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want some peace to come into your life in the midst of a storm? Go to God with the storm. 
Could have God said, this is what's happening, God. Maybe the storm came because it's your fault. Go to God and said, God, I did it. I did it. I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one that made the bad choice. My marriage is broken up because of me. My home is a wreck because of me. But God, I know that you're a God that forgives. And I ask that you forgive me of that. And I ask that your peace that I can't even understand just fall upon me at this moment. You see, to lay in the storm and look at the storm does you no good. To go to a God and admit your sin, repent of those sins, and ask for him to fill you with his peace does wonders. Wonders in your life. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For he himself said, and I love this, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What an awesome, awesome promise. And one of the best, Romans 8, 38 and 39. We looked at it Wednesday night as we gathered together here. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did he say? Whether you're living or whether you're dead, whether the angels show up or there's some great power, whether there's something right now in your life or you're going to see in the future, whether you climb to the highest heights or the lowest depths, or whether there's anything that's been created, none of that can separate you from God's love if you're in Christ Jesus. Do we need any other promises? Do we need any other? See, God has promised that you are not in a storm alone. He's promised that you are not in the storm alone. So what should our response be? Get in the boat. Get in the boat. See, we must look for the purpose of God in the storm. We must lean on the promises of God in the storm. And the third thing that I see is that we must lay hold of the presence of God in the storm. Mark 4, 36 through 38. It says this, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. <laughs> I hope he doesn't sleep like I do, especially when I'm sitting up somewhere. Maybe, maybe you've got a husband or a wife. Like, just don't raise your hand. This could cause conflicts in your marriage. Wendy will tell you if I'm on the couch and fall asleep and you happen to be anywhere in the house, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. There's a reason. <laughs> but can't you almost just see Jesus just laid in the back of the boat snoring? just knocked out on the pillow, just gone. Like I am at a house sometimes. Andrew's running around and Wendy's chasing a dog and the dog's jumping on me and the TV's playing and people are coming in and out and I don't know anything about it. I'm just out. <laughs> just knocked out. Can't you just see Jesus just laid in the back of the boat? The boat's going up and down and sideways and the wind's blowing and waves are crashing into the boat. And just notice where Jesus was in all this. He could have said, guys, Guys, you know what? We've done a lot of meetings. I've done a lot of teaching. I've seen a lot of people. I've healed folks. I've, I've had discrepancies with the Pharisees. We need to get on over to the other side. We need to get over to the eastern shore. I tell you what, guys, why don't you get all of our stuff and you load it up in the boat? And I tell you what, just, just meet me on the other side. I'm just going to walk on across the water and go ahead. That, that way I can start my power nap while I'm waiting on you to get across. He could have said, just, just load up the boat, put all the stuff in it, and, and just come on across. I'll be there when you get there. He could have said, I'll meet you on the other side. But notice he didn't say that. He didn't say that. See, he was in the exact same place they were when the storm arose. He was in the boat. 
He was in the middle of the boat. <laughs> if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've trusted in Him for your salvation, if you're following Him as your Lord and you're trusting in Him to take you to that place called heaven, if He's changed your life from who you were to who you are, I have good news for you. He's in the boat. He's in your boat. He's walking with you. He's talking with you. His grace is with you. His mercy is with you every day. Hence the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Think about it a minute. What's significant about the fact that he was in the boat? What's significant about the fact that he was in the boat? You do realize Jesus couldn't have drowned. Do you realize that? He couldn't have drowned. He didn't come to die that way. See, the time had not yet come for his death. And besides, he wasn't going to die in a boat. He wasn't going to fall off in the sea of Galilee and drown. No, he was going to come to die, yes. But he was going to come to die because of your sin and my sin being nailed to a cross. He hadn't yet received the sinful nails in his hands that we provided. He hadn't yet received that crown of thorns that was on his head because of us. He hadn't yet received the spear in his side because of what we had done. He hadn't yet hung upon the cross and said those seven statements from the cross. Such things as this, Father, why have you forsaken me. He hadn't yet looked at the thief hanging on the cross on his right hand and said, today you will be with me in paradise. He hadn't yet looked down from the cross at his mother and said, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother, and handed the care of his mother over to John, his favorite disciple. He hadn't yet hung upon that cross and said, I thirst. He hadn't yet hung upon that cross and said, father, father, it's finished. He hadn't yet hung upon that cross and said, Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. There was nothing. There was nothing in the storm, nothing in the wind, nothing in the waves that could have taken Jesus' life. Why is it important to understand that he's in your boat? There's nothing. There's nothing in your life. There's no storm that comes our way. There is nothing in all of creation that's greater than Jesus. He's not going to die in your boat. Jesus is in complete control. As long as the disciples, as long as the disciples were in the presence of Jesus, they were safe and sound. And we need to understand this truth in our lives. We need to understand that if we stay in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, doing that which He has called us to do, we are safe and sound. No matter. No matter what He asks. No matter what Satan throws our way. Jesus has got it. We're in the palm of his hand. And there's nothing Satan can do to snatch us out. We could call witness after witness for the fact we don't have time this morning. But I want you to think. Think about Noah as he built the boat and put his family inside and the water started to rise. Think about Abraham as he lifted a knife above his head to slay his only son. Think about David. Think about David as he stood and he faced a giant that all the other army was running from with a slingshot and a stone. It wasn't an AK and a bomb. It was a slingshot and a stone. And a little boy stood and faced the giant. Think about him. Think about Gideon. Think about Gideon who had this army, these 32,000 people in the army and God said too many too many and by the time God was through it was 300 he was getting ready to face a great multitude of warriors and God said don't take them all just take 300 think about Gideon think about Moses think about Moses as he stood looking at the Red Sea with a million people and he looked behind him and here comes Pharaoh you want to talk about having to trust God think about him think about Shadrach Meshach and Abednego 
as they were thrown into a fiery furnace that killed the ones throwing them in. Yet they walked around with the fourth man, Jesus, remember? Remember, think about Daniel. Think about Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And when they come to look on Daniel, he was leaned up on the poor little kitty, giving him a little pet under the chin because the kitty had gotten lockjaw. Think about Daniel. Think about Elijah. Think about Elijah as he stood on top of Mount Carmel. I stood there. Think about it as he stood there. There were 250 prophets of Baal. He said, go ahead, boys, you go first. <laughs> when they couldn't make their God come down, what did Elijah do? He said, let's, for good measure, just wet it all. I'll take care of this. God's got it. God's got it. We could ask witnesses from our own midst. There's a whole herd of you that could get up and testify to the fact that God's got it. That God's got it. I promise you, there are many in our presence today that could testify the presence of God in their life in the darkest storms they've ever faced. The darkest storms they've ever faced. Just when they were about to throw in the towel, just when they were about to give up, just when they thought there was no way, God showed up. God showed up just in the nick of time. You know the beautiful thing about laying hold of the presence of God in your life? It means He's never going to be late. Sometimes we think He's not showing up, but God's never late. His timing is Perfect. When we lay hold of His presence, He is ever-present in the storms of our life, and He's never, ever going to be late. Jesus' presence in the boat secured the safety of those disciples. Yet like us, they couldn't see Jesus' presence for the storm. They were so focused on the blowing winds and the crashing, rising waves, they forgot that the master of the sea was in the boat. So we need to look for the purposes of God in the storm. We need to lean on the promises of God in the storm. We need to lay hold of the presence of God in the storm. And finally, we need to live in the power of God when the storms approach. Mark 4.38. Mark 4.38 says this. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Stop there for a second and think about that question. If we were in a boat together... And I was the captain, and the sea was about to swallow us. Would you really want to ask me? Don't you care that I'm about to die? I really don't care, Captain, that you're about to die, but don't you care that I'm about to die? Do you see the self centeredness in their question? They said, Do, do you not care that we're perishing? Look at Jesus' response. It says, Then he arose and he rebuked the wind. And to the sea he said, Peace, be still. And it says, and the wind ceased, and there was this great calm. When the disciples could take it no more, when they were scared to death, when they thought there was no way out, when they couldn't find enough life preservers, there was no rescue boat coming, they didn't see a helicopter on the horizon, they did the only thing they knew to do. They mustered up the courage to wake Jesus up from his pillow, snoring in the back of the boat. <laughs> Can't you almost see your discussion? I can see when I'm looking at John, 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 John. You wake him up. You're his favorite. You wake, I can see if one of them looking at Peter. said, Peter, you go ahead and do it. You've already been rebuked. You're always sticking your foot in your mouth. Have at it. You wake him up. Maybe they said, Philip, you do it. Thomas, you do it. I'm sure that we're going around the circle. And it says that Jesus woke up. And even though their attention turned to Jesus when he awoke, they were still really only focused on the storm. They were still really only focused on the storm. 
How do we know that? Because their first question to him is, don't you care that we're perishing? Even when Jesus awoke, it never dawned on them that he was capable of saving him. They were just wondering if he worried about their perishing in the storm. So many times, even when we turn to God in the storms, we only look are looking for relief from the storm, not in who God really is. Oftentimes, when we're in the middle of a storm and we turn to God as our last resort, all we want to be is rescued. We're not turning to God because of who He is. We're turning because He could save us. And that's what they had done. They had turned to Jesus and said, we're perishing. Do something. Even though God cares for us, and yes, God will give us relief from our storms, that is not at the top of His list of His concern about you or about me. My well-being in life, my health, my wealth, my family, my relationships here on this earth are not at the top of the list of the things He cares about for me or for you. What God cares about for you is that your faith in Him grows daily and you come to be more like Jesus Christ daily. Because what is? What is a great marriage or money in the bank or all the things we want if at the end of the day we either die and go to hell because we never trusted in Jesus or the world around us that we were never concerned about dies and goes to hell? God doesn't care whether or not you're healthy, wealthy, or wise. In the grand scheme of things, he wants you to be like Jesus. Because the only reason you're still here, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only reason you're still breathing air on this earth is so that your life brings him glory. I want to be like Paul. It says to live, it's great. I want to be just like Christ, but to die is a gain for me. If I could live for Christ, let me live. When that day I'm no longer useful, God take me home. It'll be gain. It'll be gain for me. See, so he says in verse 40 to him, he says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Notice he did to say little faith. He said, why is it that you have no faith? We are to grow in faith through the storms in our life. You know what I've realized? Anyone can talk about faith, anyone can sing about faith, anyone can preach about faith, anyone can read and study about faith. But until you have a storm so big that only God can handle it, you don't know how much faith you have. Until the only thing keeping you from the bottom of the well is the root, you don't know where your faith is at. See, it's in the darkest storms of life that we understand our need for our greatest faith in God. When the doctor looks at you and says, sorry, there is no cure. When you wind up and there's more month than money every month. When the spouse that you've loved dearly with all of your life looks at you one day and says, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. When you get the phone call in the middle of the night, that one of your children has left this earth because of an accident. When it seems that every voice that speaks to you has a voice critical about you and what you do. When it seems like inside of your head all you hear is how worthless you are. You see, until you have nowhere else to turn, until there's nothing you can do, until there's not another route to grab, 
you won't be willing to let go of the root and put your faith in God. It's not until you dangle there with your feet above the bottomless pit and you hear God say, let go of the root, I got this. And you holler out, is there anybody else up there? And there's silence. You look around and there is no other root. It's not until you have to make a choice. Am I going to depend on the root? Or am I going to depend on God? When you do not put your faith in completely in Him, you'll discover that you are powerless. But when you do put your faith completely in Him, you will discover that He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. You see it says in verse 41 that the disciples came to understand this. And it says, and they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? At first cursory glance or reading of that, you may think that was a question. But look at your Bibles again. It's not a question. They didn't say who could this be, question mark? <laughs> no. It says, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because here's what they come to understand when they saw Jesus in the midst of the storm of their life. And he rebuked the wind and he simply said to the sea, peace, be still. They realized they served a mighty God. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.